0: Koto Katoa, and welcome to this edition of Asia Insight from the Asia New Zealand Foundation in Wellington. I'm Graham Acton, and today we're talking perceptions, in particular New Zealanders' perceptions of Asia and its peoples. That's the name associated with the annual survey undertaken by the Asia New Zealand Foundation, a survey that's now in its 25th year, making it the most enduring study of its type in the country. Today I'm talking to Suze Jessup, Director of Research and Engagement at the Asia New Zealand Foundation, about what the latest perceptions of Asia survey shows and how it helps with the development of connections and relationships across Asia and in New Zealand. We're also discussing a new project the Asia New Zealand Foundation is currently running, dubbed Seriously Asia Revisited. It's a series of roundtable events which harks back to a similar project conducted by the Foundation just on 20 years ago. Hello Suze, let's start with Perceptions of Asia, shall we? What's the background to that work?
1: The Asian New Zealand Foundation has been running the Perceptions of Asia and Asian People survey uh, for a number of years now. This is in fact our our 25th year uh, since the survey was first started in the 90s. And the survey came about at that time when New Zealand had come to the conclusion that Asia was going to be consequential to our future. It was around the time that the Asian New Zealand Foundation itself was established to help build New Zealand's relationships with Asia. But it had also come with an acknowledgement that we didn't know much about Asia and that we needed to deepen our knowledge and better our connections and so on. So as the Foundation's contribution to this endeavour... This survey was started and because it's longitudinal and is now New Zealand's longest running longitudinal study on perceptions of Asian and Asian peoples, it's become a really important data set within the wider sort of New Zealand-Asia ecosystem and we don't change some of the questions year on year so that we preserve that data.
0: So how is it done exactly? How how many people involved? How do you survey them and when do you do it and all of that? What's the process behind it?
1: We survey just over 2,000, about 2,300 New Zealanders. Um, it is done online. It used to be via phone, but now it's online. And we do it so that it's representative of New Zealand via geography, ethnicity, gender, uh, so that we can say... With a reasonable degree of confidence, you know, in Auckland, New Zealanders think X, Y, and Z compared to on the west coast of the South Island, there's a sense of A, B, and C. So it's, we try and do it so that we can have a decent conversation within New Zealand um, regions as well about differing perceptions.
0: So it's really about if you wanted to put a subject sort of another subject title on it it's really about the continuing importance of Asia to New Zealand and the continuing importance of Asia as a region right That's
1: exactly yeah. right yeah. it's it's really helping to inform and understand where New Zealanders sit in terms of how much they know um, it's helping to guide decision makers and policy makers in terms of what What are New Zealanders uncomfortable with and what what are New Zealanders' interests? What are they concerned about or threatened by? And it provides that real suite of information that helps the conversation with with New Zealand and Asia. But it's not a domestic piece. It's not really looking at, for example, migrant settlement, although it does ask New Zealanders about, you know, how important is it to understand the etiquette and protocols of different Asian societies in order for New Zealanders to thrive in Asia? So those types of questions that require domestic skill set to do well in nature. Mm.
0: So over the course of of the study, um, what's it sort of showing? What are the broader trends that you see over the last few years, if you like, with regard to what's in the POA every year?
1: Yeah, I think we've seen two or three um, really, really interesting trends emerge over the 25 odd years The first is when New Zealanders used to talk of and think about Asia, it was really clear that they were talking New Zealand over here and Asia over there. Now in the survey, there's a strong sense of New Zealand being much more integrated in Asia. And that's, I think, the second trend is because of demographic change, because of online connectivity and so on, cheaper travel, certainly pre-COVID. We're seeing young New Zealanders connected and, and feeling part of Asia themselves like never before and there's a little bit of a generational gap there between old New Zealanders and young New Zealanders but certainly for young people there's a real sense of being connected to interested in and part of Asia and I think the third trend we see is a rising and related to the first a, a rising sense of the importance of Asia to New Zealand's future
0: Does it give you insight into how the New Zealand public sees certain kinds of, or certain areas of New Zealand? Government policy. Does it give you an insight into how people in New Zealand see New Zealand's foreign policy when it comes to Asia or immigration policy or all that sort of stuff?
1: Yes, indeed. And this is an area we're getting into more, partly so that we can be having an interesting conversation with counterpart organisations in Asia, but also in Australia and elsewhere, so that we can compare um, our different perceptions and knowledge levels and so on. So this year, for example, We know over the last two or three years, for example, New Zealanders' perceptions of and relations to China have been complicated because at an interpersonal level, people to people level, New Zealanders feel a great deal of warmth towards Chinese people. They like the food, they're interested in the culture, they're interested in the history and so on. But there is clearly at a higher level, at a state level, some discomfort with what New Zealanders are seeing. And so we wanted to unpick that a bit. And we asked New Zealanders, you know, which of these possible government policies are you comfortable with? Which are you uncomfortable with and and why? And we've asked that for different countries over the years. We've also delved into, say, um, as part of understanding New Zealanders' knowledge and awareness of events in Asia, we asked about the coup in Myanmar. You know, were you aware that there had been a coup? And if so, which of these New Zealand government responses to that coup do you support or not?
0: Just as far as China goes, it's interesting because you've, as you, as you said, the, this survey shows that New Zealanders are maybe more concerned about China in some way. But on the other hand, they are also looking at China as the country that, that New Zealand needs to connect more with in the future. Is there a way of sort of unpacking that that we can look at?
1: Does well, yeah. it's it's always, I mean, one of the things about these these results is we really find the the results are dynamic. They shift according to events in the region. So the survey was done, the, the main survey was done in November 2021 and released this year. But we polled again after Hoangie's visit to the Pacific and the announcement of the Solomon Islands security deal. And after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and we saw steep, sharp changes in perceptions of the friendliness and, and trust in those two major powers.
0: There's a lot of commentary around about how we should be looking at other trade environments, looking at other markets and all the rest of it. But this seems to be saying that, no, no, China, China's the one for us. Let's keep going with China.
1: Yeah, so while, yeah, that while mm. we have those rising threat perceptions depending on events that New Zealanders have seen, The flip side is that we're seeing New Zealanders young and old actually say still because China is a major power um, involved in our region and because it's still a very large trading partner for us, we must engage. So while in Australia we've seen Australia say, no, we're actually now a peer competitor and we want to step away and this is a confrontational relationship, In New Zealand, um, there's a much greater sense of needing to and wanting to engage still.
0: The other interesting sort of figure in that part of the survey was the increase in the perception of the US and the friendliness towards um, New Zealand from the US, which has gone up to 11% in one year. Is there anything you can put that down to?
1: Oh, look, I mean, I like to call it the post-Trump bump. So it's really just a a rebound from the Trump years where – the New Zealanders' impressions uh, of the U.S., its friendliness, um, really uh, re- reduced quite significantly, and perceptions of the, U- the threat of the U.S. rose over the Trump years. Now we're seeing, under the Biden presidency, the U.S. rebound in terms of perceived friendliness and fewer New Zealanders considering the U.S. to be threatening towards us or our interests.
0: Just looking at friendliness, Northeast Asia seems to, in every survey like this, Northeast Asia. The countries of Northeast Asia seem to come out as the ones that New Zealanders feel are the most friendly towards New Zealand, like Japan and South Korea. Is there any reason behind that? That you, I think it's
1: a combination of factors. Obviously, both those countries and North North Asian countries in general have been big, uh, long-term trading partners of ours, and we know through this research that through trade come other. Um, investments in the relationship and more connection between our people. But we also know that the Japanese government have actually invested in soft power in their, in food diplomacy, cultural diplomacy, and other areas as a pillar of their foreign policy. And perhaps what we're seeing in, in these results for Japan, which is 68% of New Zealanders see Japan as a friendly country the number one country in Asia in terms of perceived friendliness. We, we may be seeing the, the fruits of that investment of Japanese soft power coming through, but there's also been, for example, the JET programme where New Zealanders have travelled to Japan to teach English and, and in doing so have become unofficial ambassadors for the Japan-New Zealand relationship, and it's helped build that confidence and familiarity.
0: COVID over the last two years obviously has been the overlaying disruptor I suppose. Has has COVID come through in the survey in some way? Can you see the effect of COVID on this?
1: I was expecting to see the results Mm. of COVID. I was thinking that we would see less interest in travel greater fear, maybe uh, a lean towards uh, countries that hadn't been impacted so much by COVID for travel but instead we've seen the perceived importance of Asia increase, not decrease, over COVID. So Today, if you walk down to the street of New Zealand, uh, 79% of adult New Zealanders will say Asia is really important to New Zealand's future, up from 73% in 2020. So the perceived importance of Asia over COVID has increased, not decreased. Young New Zealanders want to travel to Asia more than anywhere else in the world. So it's interesting. We, We were expecting to see a contraction there and it hasn't come through in the stats.
0: You've got a whole section there about the next generation. And I'm just wondering what the the main points that you saw coming through from the survey were for younger people.
1: What we wanted to do in the 25th year since the survey started was really to hear what New Zealand's young people thought about the future of New Zealand's Asia relations. What we were really interested in is we asked about, say, what should New Zealand's international priorities be? And uh, what we heard come through loud and clear was priorities around climate change, priorities around economic well being and prosperity. Uh, but also New Zealanders, young New Zealanders, wanting to see the promotion of democracy and freedom and rights. Learning Asian languages in school was highly valued. Uh, Two-thirds, or or 67% of young New Zealanders, are interested in learning an Asian language, um, compared to just 13% who are not. But not all New Zealanders, young New Zealanders, feel that they're getting access to those languages in schools, and certainly that access isn't following through to a university
0: level as far as the perceptions of asia goes would there be an advantage would you look at possibly developing it into a series of smaller surveys or is that kind of what you think it is already? So putting everything into Asia, there's such a huge number of countries and diverse cultures and histories and all of that and connections and sort of perceived friendliness and all yeah. the rest of it. Is it worth dissecting it a wee bit or sort of you know cutting it up into smaller pieces?
1: Yeah, I think in some ways we are doing that already. We want to preserve the perceptions of Asia survey itself because its longitudinal and helps give us those Big, broad trend lines that are really interesting for New Zealand's broader Asia relations – Within it, it's coming through loud and clear that New Zealanders know North Asia best, followed by Southeast Asia and South Asia least for the Asia regions. And now as knowledge of Asia grows, we're starting to see New Zealanders be able to differentiate country by country and issue by issue. And that's where the research programme is starting to branch out and really say take a deep dive on New Zealand-Japan relations, New Zealand-Vietnam relations, or, or look at issues specifically. So we we are doing that through other parts of the programme and then we retail that research out to the New Zealand public and through our website so that it's out there helping to inform New Zealand's Asia conversations.
0: So that's in the smaller reports that are done by the foundation. That's Over right yeah. and they're
1: all on the, on the foundation's website. Yeah.
0: Part of the report looks at threats to New Zealand's vital interests. Could you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Sure. So this is one of those questions where we wanted to have data that would give us a comparative uh, study with offshore surveys. And so we asked New Zealanders, what do you consider to be the threats to New Zealand vital interests? And we gave them a a fairly long list of possible threats and asked are these a major threat, uh, somewhat of a threat, not threat at all, or, or you're not sure. And there were a couple of really interesting results While it might be that New Zealanders would think, or that decision makers would think that say nuclear issues are, New Zealanders are absolutely allergic and very afraid of nuclear issues, of a hot war, a military war and so on, actually those uh, concerns about those threats to vital interests were right down the bottom of the list. The the top threats were actually what we call the non-traditional security threats, So they were the cyber attack from other countries, Uh, fake news and misinformation was actually the second most concerning uh, threat to New Zealand's vital interests, followed by the COVID pandemic and climate change. And then in the middle zone, we saw the sort of terrorism, right-wing extremism, economic downturn and foreign interference in those areas. And then at the end was the sort of proliferation of nuclear weapons, military conflict And I was really surprised to see the last two were concern about a major humanitarian or security situation in the Pacific. And last, you know, concerns about new resource or territory claims in Antarctica. You know, two issues that are often talked about in public discourse, but actually for the New Zealand public, feature right underneath the non-traditional security
0: threats. So where are people getting their information from for that, that sort of opinion to sort of arise? Is, it, is that from the media only or is it, is it from we, their own experience? Do yeah, you
1: think? we know uh, traditional media play a fairly big role in how New Zealanders get information. But for younger New Zealanders, we're seeing more and more access through websites, through social media, particularly Facebook and a little bit of YouTube and Instagram. It's mixed, but the traditional media is still dominant across most age
0: groups. Just talking about media, does the survey look at the issue of Asian media in New Zealand, Asian language or Asian, Asian produced media being consumed in New Zealand?
1: On media, we do ask New Zealanders whether they consider media reporting to be balanced and whether we provide via New Zealand media about the right level of coverage. And New Zealanders respond to say, actually, they think that coverage is balanced and the sentiment is about right although quite a large share of New Zealanders would like to see more reporting on Asia.
0: That's interesting. This is interesting too. I think the um, how New Zealanders perceive their own knowledge about Asia. I mean, what, what they a lot of them, a lot of New Zealanders are thinking that um, they know a reasonable bit about Asia. But often they will say, "Well, no, no, I know way more about Australia or the United States or Canada." Or
1: yeah, that's that is one of the, and that's really what goes to the core mahi of the the Asian New Zealand Foundation. Really, mm-hmm. is despite Asia being the second most important region to New Zealand's future, according to New Zealanders, second only to Australia. When we actually ask how much do you feel you know, only 51% or, or one in two adults say they know at least a fair bit about Asia. And so we really have to help grow that knowledge, grow that familiarity because we know the more that, you know, people like you and I are engaged and rubbing shoulders with people who are Asia experts or people of Asian heritage or actually in Asia, the more confident we feel and the more likely we are to rate um, and consider Asia as important to our future. So with knowledge comes confidence and comes, comes that sense of importance.
0: So the more the more they know about Asia, the more New Zealand is all regarded as important and, and see its actual importance in their lives going forward. Yeah,
1: yeah, and yeah. that's important for decision makers to mm. know because that really builds the permission space uh, to use resources and to use government time to foster those relationships. If you were looking at some of the results where we may be concerned or or see further work needed, we were interested, and perhaps this is a, a phenomenon of of COVID, but. of New Zealanders believe that New Zealanders are accepting of cultural and religious diversity. 31% of New Zealanders think enough is being done in New Zealand to understand the religions, cultures and traditions of Asia. About one in three adults think enough is being done in New Zealand to prepare young New Zealanders to engage confidently in Asia. And roughly the same amount think enough is being done to help equip New Zealand businesses to do well in Asia. So I think those statistics really help guide us in terms of where effort needs to be put to help grow that knowledge and confidence. Standing back from the survey, and if we're to say, so, so what does this all mean? You've got, you know... 80-odd pages of results there, I think we would say that there's a great sense of integration with Asia. But we do know that when New Zealanders think Asia, they first and foremost think China, or if not North Asia. So we will be continuing to work to grow New Zealanders' understanding of the different regions of Asia and the different countries within Asia. But there's also recognition that Asia in general is important and consequential to New Zealand's future and um, recognition that we're operating in a more complex Asia environment and need to be skilled and knowledgeable in order to work effectively.
0: So agreeing that Asian knowledge is the key to success in Asia, how is the Asia New Zealand Foundation working in that space?
1: One of the ways we're helping to grow knowledge um, and build confidence and, and and talk about New Zealand's Asia relationships is through a project that we're running this year, which is called Seriously Asia Revisited. It builds on a, a large conference that we originally held in 2003 and is bringing together uh, about 120 of New Zealand's leading voices on Asia across four big themes, society and culture, trade, tourism and investment, political and security, sustainable development and innovation. And we're asking New Zealanders, you know, what, what did we get right in 2003 when we looked out to Asia and we thought about building our relationships with Asian countries? What, with the benefit of hindsight, might we do differently? And what would you like to see? What, what are our recommendations and key insights for the next 20 odd years?
0: So how's that, how's that going to work? What's the internal structure of that process? How is Seriously Asia Revisited going to work?
1: Well, because um, we're trying to do it amongst COVID and, and a lot of disruption, uh, what we've decided to do is run um, four, hui, uh, four round tables where we're bringing together those leading voices, each focused on one of those four themes. And we're, we're really taking a deep dive into each theme. So the the first one is going to be on Auckland, looking at society and culture connections between New Zealand and Asia. And we're going to be taking key insights and recommendations from each Hui and putting them together in a roadmap and saying we're presenting that roadmap to New Zealand to say, you know, we've brought together some great people who really know Asia, have been involved and engaged and advocates and amplifiers of Asia relationships for a long time. And here are their recommendations for how New Zealand can thrive in this really important region for New Zealand's future.
0: And what will come out the other end of this? There will be a, um, some sort of recommendation towards the government? or
1: Yeah, well, in 2003, uh, the results of the Seriously Asia, the original Seriously Asia, meant that New Zealand applied new resources for new initiatives. For example, a Seriously Asia fund was established in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade that actually helped facilitate visits between New Zealand and Asia. It was, there was an agreement that we should start trade talks with China and that eventually led on to the free trade agreement with China. There was an agreement that funding and staffing should be put towards establishing more experts and diplomatic and, and what we call track two, sort of the non-governmental dialogues between New Zealand and Asia. So a whole lot of things that have been are running right through to this day and that have been really, really useful. But what we're asking is what's next? And our hope is that at the end of this process we end up with a whole lot of decisions and resources and staffing being applied to these recommendations that are put forward by the New Zealand public.
0: I've been speaking with Suze Jessup, Director of Research and Engagement at the Asia New Zealand Foundation in Wellington. And the Perceptions of Asia survey is available on the Asia New Zealand Foundation's website. Just look for Research Reports on the Resources tab. That's it for this edition of Asia Insight. Thanks for listening. Ka kite anō.